Open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. This evening we are going to look at uh, God sends his judgment to his people. Uh, Way back in chapter 4, God mentioned that uh, judgment was coming. And chapter 6, it's going to arrive. In Jeremiah's first message in chapter 2 verse 1, through chapter 3, verse 5, God has condemned Judah for two things. First, they have rejected Jehovah, the living God, and they have made their own gods. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, continues on this same subject. The second message, chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 6, deals with the backsliding of the people. All of these messages thus far in chapters 2 through 6 were given during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry before the book of the law was found in the temple. But during this time, Jonah, I'm sorry, Josiah, being a young man like Jeremiah was, was seeking the Lord. And Josiah was setting up certain changes in the nations, in the nation. He was mostly trying to clean up the idolatry in Judah. The nation had forsaken the living God and gone into idolatry. And you can see that the combined efforts of this young king, Josiah, and the young prophet Jeremiah had a tremendous effect on the nation. Judah had gone into idolatry because it was the easy and popular thing to do. And also it was the easy and popular way. But it was a road that led to lowering their standards and brought them down to a low moral level. This closing section of Jeremiah's sermon focuses on the invading Babylonian army and the devastation that they'll bring to the kingdom of Judah. And during that critical time, Jeremiah told the nation what God was doing. So let's begin with verses 1 and 2. And it says, O you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa. And set up a signal fire in Beth Hasarim. For disaster appears out of the north, a great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. So the Lord warned Jeremiah's own tribe of Benjamin to flee. But not to the security of the great walled city of Jerusalem. Because it would be surrounded. So he says, go toward Tekoa, which was about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. And it said, set a signal fire. And that signal fire would signal the warning. uh, And it was to be lit in Beth Hasarim, which means the the name Beth Hasarim means house of the vineyard. That was halfway between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And the Jews had three ways of passing on military information. One, it was from the watchmen on the walls. We'll see that in verse 17 here. Second, from the trumpet signals here in verse 1. And third, from the fires that would be lit on the high places also we see in verse 1. Jerusalem is compared to a lovely and delicate woman in verse 2. But she's going to be destroyed. Look at verses 3 through 5. And it says, The shepherds with their flocks shall come to her. They shall pitch their tents against her all around. Each one shall pasture in his own place. Prepare war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away, for the shadows of the evening are lengthening. 
Arise and let us go by night and let us destroy her palaces. Foreign shepherds or soldiers would invade the beautiful pastures. And they would set up their tents only to slaughter the flock. And then God spoke to the Babylonian army that he commanded over. Notice in verses 4 through 12, he, said, he shared his plan with them. He said, make a surprise attack at noon, at the hottest time of the day when nobody would expect it. And plan to continue that attack through the night when most armies are asleep. The word prepare there in verse 4 means to sanctify or consecrate. The Babylonians conquered this war, or considered this war, a holy war for their gods. Verse 6. For thus has the Lord of hosts said, Cut down trees and build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. So Jerusalem is to be surrounded, and the walls were to be destroyed. The word went out to cut down the trees, and they would cut down the trees to, use, to make battering rams out of them, and also to make towers to attack the walls of Jerusalem. Verse 7, as a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are heard in her. Before me continually are grief and wounds. So Jerusalem is going to be punished because she's so wicked. Jeremiah says she spouts evil like a fountain. Her streets are filled with the sounds of violence and destruction. He says, I always see her sickness and her sores. Verse 8. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. He says, listen to this warning, Jerusalem, or I'm going to turn from you in disgust. He said, listen, or I'll turn you into a heap of ruins, a land where no one will live. So the Lord is in the midst of a people who are so degenerate. But notice, he encourages them to be instructed. He still encourages them to listen to what he has to say. I mean, the thing that's so crazy is that when the people get so far away from God, that they're set in their own ways of evil... And yet God, he still offers them his hand of mercy. All he asks is that they turn to him. But these people were now about as evil as you could get. And yet God is still merciful to them. He's still offering them forgiveness. He will still fight against their enemies if they turn to him. And he'll do, with the, he'll do this with nations and he'll do it with individuals. And maybe tonight... There are some who have turned their back on God. Maybe they haven't walked or aren't walking in the ways of the Lord. <clears throat> Keep in mind, the Lord has not given up on you. He's calling out and he says, turn to me. He still pleads with you. He still stretches out his hand of mercy to you, inviting you to come and to be covered in his love, to be washed and to be cleansed so that he might defend you, so that you might become his child Verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel. As a grape gatherer, put your hand back into the branches. <clears throat> this means that the invading army, Babylon, is going to basically pluck Israel clean. Like the gleaners would do when they would go through the vineyards. Under the law, you could only send your servants through the vineyard one time. To pick the grapes. 
Any grapes that weren't ripe yet, you would leave them alone. You left them on the vine. And after your servants had gone through and picked the grapes, then your field would be an open field. It would be open to the public so that the poor people now could come in and they could pick now those ripened grapes that were left behind and um, it, would, it would take care of them. So these poor people would come in, they'd strip the field bare. They would just strip the, the vineyards clean. And so the idea of the gleaners here is that they're going to thoroughly clean, the invading army is thoroughly going to glean or, or take over or take what's left of Israel. In other words, Israel is going to be picked bare till there's nothing left of it. There will be nothing left when the enemy is done with them. They will be stripped and nothing will be remaining. Verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear, ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. What a sad commentary. Jeremiah was so bummed, so sad, because at this critical time in history, nobody was listening to the Lord's warning. The people became angry and they they just shut their ears to the Lord. They didn't want any part of God's word. They didn't want any part of God's command because living for God didn't seem to be very exciting to them. Just like in Jeremiah's day, people today dislike God's word. They dislike God's commands for disciplined living. They don't like the principles that God sets up for living. So their hearts and their ears were uncircumcised, it says here. Meaning, they refused to hear God's word. Jeremiah was full of God's wrath. And he told them that God's anger is going to be poured out on you. The young and the old. The men and the women. Even the children. And rulers. And priests wouldn't escape in fact they were the most guilty why because they did because they had given the people false covenant confidence and they had refused to repeat or repent of their own sins it says in lamentations 4 13 because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests god would send this judgment upon them it says here in, in, in verse 10 to whom shall i speak And give warning that they may hear. In other words, who can I give this warning to that will listen? The Lord is calling them to listen. To turn to him. But they're not listening to him. They've closed their ears to the Lord and they refuse to hear. It says their ear is uncircumcised. He says, notice, and they cannot give heed. They cannot pay attention. They have no ear for God. They only hear the call of their flesh. Now, the whole idea of circumcision was the cutting off of the flesh and the life of the flesh to live in the the spirit. You cannot walk in the flesh and you cannot walk in the spirit. Paul said in Galatians 5, 16 through 17 and verse 25, he said, I say then, Walk in the spirit and you shall not, notice, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, total opposites. He says they're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
If you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul spoke about that in chapter 7 of Romans. He says, you know, I know the right thing to do, but when I go to do it, I can't do it. I want to do the right thing, but I am doing the wrong thing. He was speaking about that battle in the flesh, the battle between walking with God and, and, and you know, serving the flesh or, or the, the flesh taking over or, or having its way. The word walking speaks of the ordinary. It speaks of the daily routine of life. It's not sp- talking about the spectacular. You see, where our Christian character is most tested is in the everyday things of life. Anybody can act special under special uh, special circumstances. But the real test comes in how you act in the ordinary walk of life. Walking in the Spirit is to walk in the way of submission. Submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You go where He sends you, you come when He calls you, and you stop when He says stop. You're at His beck and call. So you will walk according to the word of God because of the Holy Spirit, because he guides you according to the word. That's why it's important to read the word, because the Holy Spirit brings up the word to us. But if we're not reading the word of God and it's not dwelling richly in our heart, as Paul said in Colossians 3, 16, what what is the Holy Spirit to work off of? Because he brings up the word of God. He reminds us of the word of God. The importance of knowing and reading the word of God. So walking in the spirit is to walk in the way of submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you walk according to the word of God because that's where the Holy Spirit guides you by the word of God. We are not to guide our conduct by the culture we live in. We're not to guide our conduct by the norms of the day. But by the counsel of the scriptures. And if you do, if you walk by the word of God, through the counsel of the scriptures, Paul says, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh includes all of the evil desires that originate within our fallen human nature. Even though a person is saved, hey, that old flesh is still alive and kicking It's still there. It still wants its way. It wants its depraved appetites fed. You know, again, it it, it wants to do its own thing. But the fleshly appetites, they can be restrained and they can be conquered by being submissive to the Holy Spirit through the word of God. As Christians, hey, we're we're not exempt from temptation. But as Paul said, we do have a way of being, of being delivered from temptation. We have a way of defeating every temptation, and it's by walking in the Spirit. When a believer sins, it's because he or she hasn't listened to the Holy Spirit as he guides the believer according to the Word of God. So the believer has no excuse for fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We have the resources that God has given us to have victory over temptation, to have victory over the flesh. And, and there is a powerful battle that, that between the flesh and the spirit. It's a powerful battle. The flesh is the old nature, 
and the Spirit is the new nature. Now, which one is going to win in your life? It's going to be the one that you feed the most. If you're feeding the Spirit, you're going to walk in the Spirit. You're going to have victory in the Spirit. But if you're feeding the flesh, it's the flesh that's going to come out. It's the flesh that's going to win. The battle is going on every day in every believer between the spirit and the flesh. Again, Paul spoke about it in detail in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25. The flesh and the spirit are opposites. They have opposite likes and dislikes. And so the believer experiences a constant fight within them about their conduct because the flesh, the old nature... And the spirit, the new nature, are in constant disagreement. A constant battle. And what this means is that each nature opposes the other nature's desire. It doesn't mean as some think that the flesh keeps the believer from doing right. The conduct that occurs is the conduct, conduct that is encouraged by whom the believer allows to govern their life. This conflict, hey, it's seen everywhere in society. It is the conflict of good and evil and right and wrong. God, the Spirit, and the Word encourages the good and the right. While the flesh and Satan encourage the conduct that's evil and wrong. So as God uses this picture of the ear in verse 10... The uncircumcised ear. It's an ear that's only interested in the things of the flesh. Those itching ears that want to hear good things, comforting things, things that make them feel good. And that ear is not in tune with the Spirit of God at all. There's no desire to hear God's voice. There's no desire to hear God's word. There's no desire to hear the things of the Spirit. So they cannot pay attention. Notice it doesn't say they will not. It says they cannot. That's a, that's a big difference. It doesn't say they will not give heed, but cannot give heed. They can't pay attention. We've all heard that if you don't use an organ of, the bo- of your body the way God intended it to be used, you'll lose the power or capacity of that organ of your body. It's a well-known fact that if you don't use the muscles in your body, then after a period of time of not using the muscles, you, you'll lose the power in them. The strength of them, atrophy will set in and you won't be able to use your arm or your leg, whatever it might be. And God's people had closed their ears to God for so long that they had come to the place where they could not hear anymore. You see, it's possible to close your ears to God for so long and to close them so completely that you can't hear God's voice anymore. And you can cross that line where you can't any longer hear the voice of God. There's no conviction. It doesn't bother you anymore to sin. That's where Judah had come to here. Their ears were uncircumcised and now they cannot hear, God says. And as a result, it says the word of the Lord, notice, is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. How sad that would be. Not only that, they began to make fun of the word of God. 
They speak disrespectfully about the word of God as society does today. They make fun of us for believing the word of God. That's always a serious danger, a danger sign when you see a person who makes fun of the word of God. People who have no delight at all in God's word. The psalmist said in Psalm 1 verse 2, but his delight is the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Man, is your delight in the word of God, in the law of the Lord? Do you, do you just look so forward to reading it? Do you love reading it? Is it a delight to you? Verse 11. Therefore, in light of what he just said, I am full of the fury of the Lord. Can you imagine? You do not delight in my word. You, you make fun of my word. You have no desire for it. Hey, he says, therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. He says, I am weary of holding it in. I will, that is his, his wrath. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife. The age will, uh, with him who is full of days. The depths of depravity are so great. And, and the moral rottenness of the people was so evil and disgusting that Judah's sins literally cry out for punishment. And nobody's going to be spared. Nobody's going to be spared. It says you're all ages, all sexes, every level of society, from the poorest to the richest, they're all guilty and they're all going to be punished. Verse 12. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand, God says, against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. He says their homes, their fields, their wives are going to be turned over to their enemies. Verse 13, here's why. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. He says, from the least to the greatest, all of them, their lives are ruled by greed. From the prophets to the priests, he says, they're all frauds, they're all phonies. He says, the, 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 from the prophets to the priests, they're no better than the people. They're even worse and more guilty because they have proclaimed what wasn't true. Meaning, notice verse 14, meaning they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They lied to God's people. He says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And we're going to hear that a lot this time in our life as Jesus comes oh we're in a time of peace we're gonna we're entering into a new age a new age of hope and change a new era of peace and prosperity the new world order <laughs> sound familiar that's all we're gonna hear in the days ahead because the stage is being set People are being conditioned. Children are being groomed for that one world government. Global economy. Global cooperation. Global peace. Global strategies. Global this. Global that. 
It's obvious that the Lord is doing something right now, this very minute. We know that there's to be a peace movement led by the Antichrist. And they will be declaring peace, peace, when there really is no peace. Don't believe it. Because as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11 says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see, if you don't believe the word of God, what else is there to believe? Satan is going to indwell the Antichrist. He's going to give the Antichrist his supernatural power in order to do all of this, in order to deceive. Just as demon possession gave their victims various supernatural power, Satan is going to empower the Antichrist with extra abilities. Secondly, the empowerment will bring about a great change, a a, a so-called progress with all power and signs. Satan will give the Antichrist power to work miracles. The word signs is the word translated miracles in many other places in the New Testament. The Antichrist will have a power beyond human power. He's going to do things that will appear as miracles just like the magicians did when, they, when the plagues came upon Egypt. The empowerment of the Antichrist involves deception. Line wonders. The Antichrist will work wonders. He'll do things that amaze people, but they will be lying works. They will be deceiving works. Satanic works. Deception is always a a key tool of the enemy. Deception is always a trademark of evil, and the Antichrist is going to make a trademark of his work. People are going to be blown away. They're going to be astonished. They're going to be awestruck by this deception because they won't have the spiritual discernment to realize, hey, this is a lie. This is evil. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, Paul said, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Satan's work of bringing about the Antichrist is being held back right now. The restraining force that is holding it back is very powerful because it's holding back the forces of evil. But it cannot climax until the restrainer stops restraining all evil. The mystery of lawlessness especially involves the work of the Antichrist. It's limited right now. It's limited until the Holy Spirit, we believe, is the one, until he be taken out of the way. The restrainer will one day be removed and then full, the full manifestation of sin will take place. Can you imagine? What we're seeing now is just a touch. When the restrainer is removed, I mean, man, evil and destruction is going to be like crazy. Never seen before. Too many people, but too many people prefer false security than dealing with the real problem. Verse 15. Were they ashamed 
when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Notice, not ashamed of their sin. Don't even blush anymore. The prophet and the priest, what he's talking about here, they weren't even ashamed of their disgusting behavior. They had become so shameless in their sin, they couldn't even blush. So their punishment, just like the others, will go through. Uh, It's going to be thorough. And nobody's going to be able to help them. Verses 16 through 21. We'll see God gives a way of deliverance, though. Verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, notice, we will not walk in it. Also, I said, watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba, and sweet came from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. Jeremiah points the way out of the dark. He says, stop at the crossroads and look around. He He says, ask for the old godly ways. Walk in those godly ways. He says, and you'll find rest for your soul. Jeremiah is referring to the original way where Israel followed the Lord under Moses. It was a covenant relationship. It was God and Israel living together in holy fellowship and loving one another. It was a mutual love. In chapter 2, verse 1, this is what the Lord says, I remember how eager you were to please me like a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me through the barren wilderness. The people of Jeremiah's time understood what he was talking about. They knew what Jeremiah was talking about. They knew about the old paths. They knew about the good way. It was a good way, not because it was old, but because it was the right way. It was God's way. Walking on the old paths had always brought rest to the people's souls and to the nation. But the stubborn men of Judah refused that way. They refused the way out of their mess by saying, we will not walk in it, verse 16 says. This was a deliberate rebellion against God. Jeremiah here is trying to stir up the people again by reminding them about all the good times. God had sent watchmen, prophets, who blew the trumpet, who warned them, who instructed them. And he suggested here that if they would listen to him, there was still hope for them. There was still hope for the nations. But they continued to rebel, saying in verse 17, We will not listen. We will not listen. So Jeremiah now turns and he makes a threefold request of the people. 
He calls for the nations and the congregations of Israel, verse 18. And the earth, in verse 19, to take note that Judah had rejected God's laws and disrespectfully rejected listening to his words, in verse 19. And also he said the fruit of their thoughts, in verse 19, means their plans and their devices. Despite these serious sins, the nation was, was basically just, just outward religious, outwardly religious. It was a formal religion. They weren't content with the old paths. That is the good way. So what happens? They come up with their own way. They come up with some of their own new religious ideas. But they're not acceptable to God. And God asks them in verse 20 about these unauthorized practices. He says, for what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba? And sweet came from a far country. What, what purpose does that serve? What, what, is, what, is, what good does that do me? God says, your new ways of worship are not acceptable. He says, these sacrifices you're bringing me, they're not sweet. They're not sweet to me. They don't do anything for me. Man-made sacrifices is all they are. It's just religious ceremony. Man-made sacrifices and religious ceremony are offensive to God unless they come with the righteous living. God said that the people shall stumble and perish in verse 21. So this is the, the, the background, the dark setting, the environment of Israel's sin and their disobedience that we see in verse 16. God's good counsel that he's given to men who are missing the way of life. God's given good counsel to the men who are missing the good way of life. Here's his good counsel. Look for the old paths, which were God's eternal truth. Secondly, ask for the good way. That is the way of righteousness. And then third, walk in it. Act on the best that you know, and then you'll find rest for your souls. Verse 22 through 26. Thus says the Lord... Behold, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us, pain as of a woman in labor." Do not go out into the field nor walk by the way because of the sword of the enemy. Fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only uh, make mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentation for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. Jeremiah returns now to the enemy from the north, and he, and he descri- describes her a great nation. And it's raised up from the farthest parts of the north, being Babylon. They're being stirred up. This enemy, they're being stirred up by God. They're being brought by God to punish Judah for her sin. And in these verses described, they have a a fearful multitude of people. There's a whole bunch of them. They're ruthless. And they're expert, verse 23 says, with bow and spear. They're cruel and they have no mercy. He says in verse 23, the sound of their coming is like the roars of the sea, the roaring of the sea. And Jeremiah sees what happens because of their coming. The result 
the, the, the response of the people. He says, the reputation of this feared, dreaded people is so terrible that the people of Judah are paralyzed with fear. They're wringing their hands in dread and fear that they're coming. They're overwhelmed with anxiety and distress. It takes hold of them. He says in verse 24, like a woman in labor. He says, the city and the people are traumatized. And the danger is so great that nobody dares go outside of the city or outside in the city. Because this enemy's sword is everywhere, Jeremiah says, and it terrorizes us at every turn. We're surrounded by fear and terror. Jeremiah cries to the people. He says, hey, guys, dress in sackcloth and roll around in ashes, which was a sign of mourning and despair. He says, because the day that's coming, it is a terrible one. Dress yourselves in sackcloth, sit in the ashes, mourn and weep bitterly as though you have lost your only son. Because before you know it, the destroying armies are going to be all over you. Verse 27 through 30. I have set you as an assayer and a fortress among my people that you may know and test their way. They are all stubborn rebels walking as slanderers. They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is uh, the lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain for the wicked are not drawn off. People will call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. Here they are put to the test. Judah is put to the test by a severe refining process through this invasion. But unfortunately, you know, human beings aren't like or from the earth. They have their own wills. They can do their own thing. Verse 29 says, even though the bellows blow fiercely. And even though the lead, that is the, the, the oxidizing agent that carries off the dross is consumed by the fire, all of it's done in vain. It's all done in vain. Because the people, it says in verse 29, are all stubborn rebels. They reject the refining process. And the wicked still remain in control of the nation. God has put the people to the test and the refining process has failed. The men of Judah are dross to be thrown away. He says in verse 30, people are going to call them the good-for-nothing silver. Why? Because they wouldn't respond positively to the transforming process of the Lord has rejected them. So in closing, three three truths of judgment clearly stand out. Number one, the people's refusal of God. Verse 27 through 29, they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hear. Second, God's resulting refusal of the people because they wouldn't listen, they wouldn't hear. And third, what God has refused, all men count reprobate. Again, the good for nothing silver. Sometimes suffering brings out the best in people. But that's not going to happen here. It wouldn't happen here in the attack on Jerusalem. It says when God turned on the furnace, it would show the people to be like rejected silver. Nothing but dross. That's all they were. And the dross is what was thrown away. He wasn't purifying them. He was punishing them. They weren't being refined by this test. They were being rejected because they were too cheap to preserve. Thomas Jefferson wrote these words in his notes in the state of Virginia over 200 years ago. And it's still a very serious thought for us today. 
Indeed, he says, indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. The psalmist said in Psalm 75 too, I have set a time for judgment, says God, and I will judge with fairness. And it is God who is the judge. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, help us to take heed from your word. Because Israel didn't hear. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to walk in it. They rejected it, made fun of it. And because they did, you brought judgment. They were like rejected silver because it couldn't be purified. They were nothing but dross. The impurities of the silver. God help us to look for those old paths as Jeremiah said and to walk in them because those old paths were the good ways and I think of the narrow road that Jesus said the way to heaven is very narrow and narrow is the road the way to heaven and few find it that broad is the way to destruction And there are many who go there. Father, let us find the old paths, the narrow road. Stay on that narrow road. Not go to the left or to the right. But to keep our eyes straight ahead. Knowing that that's our destiny. So Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you you've given us your spirit to lead us and to guide us in all truth. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to grope around as one who cannot see in the dark. But you've given us the light, your word, a lamp into our path and a light to our feet so that we can see and see clearly. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.